King George, I know that everyone's going to be really upset that I'm speaking to you today, but I'm actually really excited. How are you? I'm excited to speak to you too. It has been an absolutely incredible ride and I've had the time of my life and I couldn't be more proud of what's unfold. 100%. So this season is Heroes v Villains. You came in as a villain. I was going to ask you if you think you're a villain. I think you're a villain, but do you think you're a villain? Well, I walked in there knowing that I was the greatest villain Australian survivors ever had, but I think I've shown a bit of versatility out there in Samoa. And one of the lessons that I learned from the outback was I couldn't just focus solely on strategy and tactics. I had to lean in more into the human side. And I think a lot of the people that were watching at home kept screaming at the TV going, why aren't they voting George out? It was one simple reason. They didn't want to. And the players have to make a choice at every single tribal council. And not only strategically was it in their best interest to keep working with me, but they just didn't want to vote me out because I was a friend or a mentor or a coach or because they liked having me around at camp. I love that like normally everyone will be like, oh, I play with my heart, blah, blah, blah. You're like, oh, I'm going to show them my human sides. <laughs> I'm being strategic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look. I, I had to improve my game from the Outback. So I played one of the best ever games the first time I played Australian Survivor. And when I was screaming glory or death earlier on in Heroes v Villains, I meant it. I didn't care if I went out early because nothing would ever take away my experience or my legacy from the Outback. But I proved over the course of this season, over the course of 94 straight days of playing Survivor, that I am a legend of the game and I could even improve by so much more than what I did in the Outback. And I am so, so proud just as a player, as a fan, and I hope everybody enjoyed what I did. Look, I agree with you. You're definitely a legend of the game. In Brains v Braun, you were really close to getting a sole survivor. Did that make you want to play even harder this time? Well, like, did you really want that win? I think for me, I wasn't particularly concerned about the win. I knew that my chance of winning when I walked in on day one in Samoa would be very close to zero. In fact, I was the priority target of almost every single returning player. And you had a new player like that that person, I, I said I couldn't remember his name and I still don't, the one that went out second, who just had an axe to grind against me without having ever spoken to me. And I knew that would be my struggle walking in on day one in Samoa. So I wasn't particularly focused on winning, but I just wanted to play an absolutely incredible game. But here's the key thing, Khan, and here's what we shouldn't forget about. So my final tribal council in the Outback, I wasn't going to win. We have an election in New South Wales this week, and it was like I was the Labor candidate running in a very safe Liberal seat. There was absolutely nothing I could have said or done to those electors on the jury to give me the crown of sole survivor against Haley in the outback because they all had an axe to grind. But that wasn't the case here in Samoa. The further I went on on the game, the more it became clear to me that if I got to the final tribal council, I would win. So I had to start adapting my gameplay and my strategy in the middle part of the game to make sure that I was in the best possible situation to win, and that meant getting to the final part of the game, maintaining control, which is very difficult to do as a player over 47 days, and then winning. Unfortunately for me, I hit a bit of a roadblock at the final four, and I have absolutely no regrets on what happened. And the fact that it took Liz Parnov, an absolute beast of a player and a champion, and the first player in Survivor history to vote me out, 
someone who I taught to be shrewd and ruthless, and then she turned that against me in the game. I couldn't be more proud of her. Oh, I love it. I love it. Look, I, I do disagree with you for one thing that you said. You said that you came into the game and new players would want to get you out. Old players would want to do the same thing. I actually think that that's a really bad move. Like, I honestly think that if I were on your season, this season with you, it doesn't make any sense to get you out at the beginning. It's like you're such a massive player that it makes a lot of sense to take you to at least merge because um, you're there as a shield. So I feel as though if, if anyone was actually playing the game and actually thought about it, they shouldn't be trying to get you out first, second, third, fourth load. It should be a lot longer into the game. And you're a smart cookie card, and that's why you think like that. But unfortunately, a lot of the returning players didn't, and I had the big Simon problem. So if you think emotionally in the game, you would go, I'm going to vote off George at all costs. But someone like you who thinks strategically rather than just on pure emotions would realise that if you decide to work with me, I will very legitimately work with you over the short, medium and long term. And I'm the kind of person that likes to cut a deal. And if the deal that you offer me is in my best interest, I will definitely take it. I feel as though you've been playing really boldly this season and you're talking about deals. And I think I mentioned it on previous episodes of Talking Tribal where people try to win challenges as their kind of like protection. I feel like you cut deals as your protection. You're like, oh, I don't need to win the challenge because all I need to do is make that, that right, correct deal and I'm through. Yeah, look, Survivor is a very interesting game and people think there's three elements. They think there's a strategic game, a social game and a physical game. But what people have completely forgotten is the fourth element of Survivor and it's a political game. And as someone that's a political operative that has provided advice to members of parliament to literally write legislation and set the policy agenda for a party or for government or for an opposition party in parliament, that focus that I had on the political game worked very effectively for me over both seasons. And people wonder what a political operative is. It's someone that can run the numbers. It's someone that looks at the intent and the motivation of whether it's community groups, electors out in the public, or in the game of Survivor, the other players. And I can align my campaign in the game around the priorities, the intent, and the motivation of the other players, and it works for both of us. Why don't people vote off George on the game of Survivor? Because I give them something that's in their absolute best interest. And it was always in Liz, Matt, and Jerry's best interest to work with me. It was in Shawnee's best interest to work with me. But the thing in Survivor is you have to be critical at the right time. And sometimes you have to back your instinct. And when you see a threat against you, sometimes you just have to take it out. And that's the beauty of the game of Survivor. And I can navigate both opportunity and threat really well in the game. And it's fun. <laughs> it is fun. It is actually also very fun to watch. At points, really frustrating for me because uh, once we got closer to the end, I was like, I don't understand how they're still here with him. Like, I'm like, it made sense all up until probably about six or five where I was like, okay, I'm a bit concerned here because giving you that run to the end, if you got there, you were going to win it. And I felt like everyone should have been more aware of that. Luckily, Liz did jump in and get rid of you. I'm sorry, but I, I just love it as a viewer that when I was watching it, like it was amazing. Um, do you think that your game has changed? I know that you said that um, you play more with your with more humanity now, but is that the only change in your game? I think the other key lesson I learned from the Outback is I completely neglected the optics of not caring about the challenges. 
I never wanted to sit out from a challenge in Samoa. I never wanted to stop trying in a challenge. And I gave it my absolute all. And despite the fact that I copped a very severe injury in that first immunity challenge and I played all 47 days at probably 50% of my physical capacity based on what happened, I never gave up. And a lot of people always ask me, what was my proudest moment of the game? And it was that final immunity challenge at the Heroes Tribe when we were holding up those sandbags. Because you had Shawnee and Flick within about four minutes say, let's just drop them. And I kept saying, no, we are not dropping these sandbags. We're going to keep going until our arms fall off. And I think for me, that would have been the key pitch that I would have made at the final Tribal Council. If I got there, I would not have said a word about any of the moves that I made. I would have said what was different from George from the Outback and George in Samoa. And that was the fact that I focused more on my human element and relationship management um, rather than pure tactics. And it was the fact that I never gave up. You do have to learn from your past mistakes. And a, a lot of past players, they make the same mistakes again. If you look at Geordie, he was unreliable in his first season and he was unreliable here. That's why he got voted off. He couldn't keep Liz's secret a secret. And um, you have to continually improve. So I felt like I continually improved. I upped my game. I played the best game in Survivor history. And I came fourth after 94 straight days of playing the game that I'm so passionate about. Oh, I love it. I love it. I lo and I love how honest you are as well, even with the little shade to Geordie just then. That was quite fun. So let's talk about uh, your, your game, basically. Episode seven for me was the moment where I was like, oh, no, nah, I'm never going near George. I'm not playing with him. I don't want to play next to him. I don't want to play against him. I just don't want to be there just because your mind is so different. Can you talk us through that tribal? Well, I'm going into that tribal council. And before tribal council, Geordie's come up with a betrayal of Simon. And then I look at it like this. Geordie's offered me a deal. It works for him. It works for me. I'm completely on board. But we get to tribal council and um, everything's thrown up in the air. Simon wins individual immunity. And part of the reason why I am one of the survivor greats is because I always am thinking. And on that walk back from that immunity challenge to that tribal council, I determined the course for the middle part of the game. And that involved myself, Shawnee and Liz, and those three people only. And the only way that I could take control of the tribe not knowing when we'd have a tribe swap, would be to make sure that Geordie was at war with Stevie, because Geordie made it very clear to Stevie that he was voting for him at that tribal council, that Simon burnt all of his trust with Stevie, and that's exactly what Simon did there. He fell into my trap. And then I needed to expose the betrayal of Simon by Geordie. And I walked back into camp, potentially from being continually vulnerable, yes, with a secret idol in my pocket that no one knew about. But instead, I walked back having won over Stevie, essentially for the rest of the game until I voted him out. Simon could never work with Geordie and Geordie could never work with Stevie. It was literally the perfect plan. I executed it on very short notice and um, it got called the best tribal council in history because frankly, Karna, it is. It is, it is. Like, uh... I have to give you moments like that. Like it's, it, it was, and, I, I, and I've spoken about it before. Like when people ask me about like uh, whenever I do press or anything like that, I'm like, George is the best player we've ever had in Australia. 
if not in the world. Like you are the best player. Thank you. No problems. Uh, we see you play as a double agent a lot. You're blindsiding people that you actually are working with. Did that ever make you nervous? Did you ever feel like it was going to turn around and bite you in the butt? I only did that once in Samoa and that was on Stevie. And here's the problem that I had with Stevie. Every single player thought we were going to merge before that tribal council. We all we just incorrectly assumed the game. We thought we were merging at 13. We didn't. So we're all telling ourselves we're going to wake up tomorrow and going to be in a merged tribe. And then Liz and Shawnee were my core allies from basically night one, along with Jackie and Angelie, and they went very early. So then I basically was solidified behind Liz and Shawnee for the rest of the game. Then I had something fortuitous happen. Jerry comes to the villain's tribe. He has a giant axe to grind, and I'm the only person that treated him as a human being and respected him and his point of view. And then I realised I won over Jerry at that point in the game when he came to villains. So when we are at the new heroes tribe, Jerry thought Matt was worth taking a risk on. And then we saw in that episode, Flick, Matt and Ben all offered their services to their sovereign and I was willing to take any single one of them on board. But what I did with Matt was this, and I think you pointed it out on that Talking Tribal episode very rightly, Khan. I gave Matt time to realise that he needed to work with me. Because there's no point me as a player walking up to someone and saying, do this. It's, it's superficial. And that, this is why Simon couldn't execute any of his very uh, well-thought-out plans, because no one wanted to work with him, because they didn't have the, the legitimacy behind the proposal. But when Matt comes back to me after three days and goes, George, I've thought about all of this. I've realised that it's in my best interest to work with you and Jerry. I know Matt's not lying, because that's just how it is. And then I have this critical juncture where I had the numbers. I could have sided with Stevie, who was extremely loyal to me and had no other option in the game, Jerry and Matt, to simply vote off Flick. And irrespective of Liz's threat to play the idol, which I absolutely loved for the record, Liz is the kind of person that learnt from both Shawnee and myself. But when, when that happens, and I think you pointed out on Talking Tribal as well, I could have done the double bluff. We still could have voted off Flick. But then I walk into a merge with no Liz, no Shawnee, and only Steve, Jerry, and Matt behind my side. But I had, to, I had to come up with a compromise that kept enough people happy where I would have the building blocks to have a majority tomorrow at Merge. So the only time I turned on an ally who literally did nothing against me was Stevie. Everybody else was a little bit different. Shawnee, the difficult thing about Survivor is this, Khan. As you know, you played it for quite a long time yourself. You get tired, you get hungry, and you start slipping up. And when Shawnee started talking more and more about the shins, it became very, very apparent to me that I had passed my, basically my, my shelf life. I'd passed my expiry date with Shawnee. And yes, we had a phenomenal friendship and we protected each other in the game because it benefited both of us. But I told myself, if Shawnee keeps talking about shiz and shiz alone, she is going to strike on me. And Shawnee with an idol, and having the, the opportunity to launch a preemptive strike would have meant she would have been untouchable and gotten to the end game. The fact that I made the strike on Shawnee before she did on me at eight people left, I don't particularly see that as a betrayal. I call that the end of a pragmatic friendship where she was going to turn on me first. It was a preemptive strike from me, and sometimes the cream just rises to the top calm. But with Haley, it was very different. Haley was literally my blind spot in the game. And 
through circumstance and my very specific style of extracting information out of people, if I'm not confrontational at that tribal council where I was adamant it was Nina, I go home that episode. But because I push so many buttons in the George style that I do, Nina came to me with the information that shone the, the light through my eyes. And um, Haley played such a tough game and we are incredibly great friends and I'm going to her wedding next week. But that was basically two great players battling it out and I'm very glad that I came out on top. Did you really want to take Haley to the end? Like, yes. Oh, I love that. Haley was my end game plan. So it was, for, it was for a variety of reasons. I had to, I always had to adjust and moving forward, with Haley was always the best thing for me if the miraculous, highly unlikely situation happened that we both made it to merge. So I always thought Haley would want to target me at a tribe swap if we ever swapped. So I kept leaking information to her to kind of placate her because I know Haley because we're friends. And the only thing that Haley values is valuable information, and rightly so. It's the most important currency in the game. But when I made it clear to Haley that her tribe was going to blindside her, she had absolutely no reason to distrust me ever again in the game. But my, my plan, if Haley didn't want to try and slay the king as she did, was to move forward with Haley, Jerry and Matt and to have a final three with myself, Haley and Jerry. That was my ultimate plan when I formed the vigilante ship. And um, unfortunately for me, it didn't happen and I had to readjust. Love it. Okay, so this season is the first time you've ever been on the jury. How did you feel? Did you like that power? Oh, I felt exhilarated. Uh, I think you saw it when I got voted out. I was there for 94 straight days. I was thinking about the feast at the jury villa and just catching up with my mates on the jury benches for so long. And it was exhilarating walking into that final tribal council, looking like Freddie Mercury, getting a few woohoos and uh, casting my vote for the sole survivor for the first time. Oh, my God. So good. What, what was the um, what was the food like? What was catering like? But that food at Jury Villa, it truly was a paradise. I mean, Samoa looks as beautiful as, as it is on camera. The scenery at Jury Villa it was a five-star resort, and I got exactly what I was craving the entire time I was playing the game. I got the burger. I was stuffing my face with, I think, chips and sauce and just dipping my fingers in everything and licking them and had the absolute time of my life. But the one thing that you would probably know, Khan, I did not sleep. So I got to the jury villa, I entered my room, I ate all my food, I spoke on the phone to my mum, and then I just laid down in bed talking to all the players, keeping them awake before the final tribal council the next day. I love it. All right, so obviously you've played an incredible game this season. Like, it's just been amazing to watch. You've won $60,000. dollars mm -hmm. You've definitely written yourself into Survivor history. You did that first season, but I think you've done so even more now. You must be so happy. I um, Playing Survivor changed my life, Khan. It literally did. I'm living my best life. I'm a Survivor fan living the dream. And I have achieved every single thing under the sun I can in the game of Survivor. Winning the $60,000, huge bonus, huge win. But I have turned an oyster into a pearl. I'm forever grateful to the Survivor gods, all of the support I get out there from the very passionate Survivor fan base in my home community in southwestern Sydney. And um, I wouldn't change a thing for the world.
Thanks for listening to Australian Survivor Talking Tribal, a Network 10 podcast.